everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Tea Talk with uh, your host, Delta, and also my dear friend, Jay Ringo. Jay Ringo, how's your tea this morning? Non-existent, and it's really sad. That is disappointing. Well, I have <laughs> I have a brand new innovation for tea this this episode, and it is simply with milk. <laughs> I yes, it's the, the first time. The kind was the kind of tea. Uh, oh, it's black tea. But first time ever on Boink Radio, I'm having black tea with milk. <laughs> the brand new innovation. I'm honored, honored to be here with you and all the other folks here in the chat on this wonderful Friday morning for you, afternoon for me, 4 p.m. EST in the Boink Network Discord, where everyone is welcome to join us every week when we talk about all things Boink and science news and other things. (laughs) Because, yes, this is the Boink Radio Podcast, known this week as Tea Talk. Uh, So if you're drinking tea, do let us know in the chat. Uh, if you want to jump in with your mic, you're also free to do so at any point when we're just rambling on about nonsense. Uh, yeah, it's probably our best intro. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Let's let's get going. We have, uh, before we get into the actual uh, topics for today, and I think we're just kind of be, going to be winging it this week, uh, there's some news that we mentioned a couple weeks ago and we forgot to mention last week, and it has to do with the Boink Workshop coming up in September. Do you remember when it's happening and where? Uh, I think <laughs> I think here, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, it is the week of September 7th, uh, and it's going to be in Germany, and I don't remember what place in Germany, but it's going to be hosted by the Reichenkraft team, uh, so mark that on your calendar, we'll try to find the data and put it, if there's a link, we'll put the link in the description, uh, otherwise, you know, keep listening to the show, and we'll, we'll add more information every week as we get closer to it. If if I was going, I'd remember it. But um, I really think we should have a Boink workshop at, in Australia at least once. Like, come on. Well, I think you're at least two weeks out because I think this year is in Germany and I think next year is going to be in California. Let's get in ahead of ourselves. Aww. Yeah. Huh. I might be. Barton says the team is called Reckoncraft. I thought. If Netflix was here, he'd, he'd slap you. <laughs> <laughs> That's Reckoncraft. Whatever. Um, moving on. Uh, Oh, yeah. A little bit about the Boink Workshop. Uh, I was at the Boink Workshop in Chicago last year. Basically, for anyone interested, you should go. If you have the opportunity to go, you should 100% go. It's a bunch of Boink projects, uh, admins, uh, enthusiasts, crunchers, um, developers. They just get together and talk about Boink. There are some presentations, uh, the projects that show up, sometimes give updates on their project. Uh, I remember the ones that stand out last year. There were a bunch, so forgive me if I forget, but CPDN, uh, Einstein at Home, uh, SETI had an update. Uh, it was hosted by World Community Grid, so they, of course, had an update. And then beyond that, oh, Prime Grid was there. Uh, beyond that, it's um, work, what we did at in Chicago is we got together and we did like there was a hackathon where we learned how to make a Boink project. Uh, there was a, a lot of it was fo- a lot of the focus was on UX UI, so we uh, had some folks come in and talk to us about how to design stuff, which was really really fun. Uh, and we went and got pizza and you hung out and there was a day where we did this re- really beautiful, very long walk down. Uh, I think it's a it's a lake over there. I don't know. First time in Chicago. <laughs> so down the waterfront it was really fun it was great getting to meet everyone and uh just kind of hanging out so if you have the opportunity it is highly recommended that you go uh and of course there will be more details coming up uh coming out as we get closer including uh what exactly is going to be going on how to sign up and uh all that good good stuff so with that you got anything else to say about about your tea 
no, other than that, I've let it cool down quite a bit because it is going to be 45 degrees today. <laughs> and that's, 100 and, that's, around, that's around 115 in freedom units. Oh, thank you for doing the calculation. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, then you know what time it is? It's time to roll the intro. How exciting. Very. <laughs> What's our first topic? Uh, I think we're talking about the coronavirus, which is, uh, we mentioned it a little bit last week, right? We're like, what? It, why isn't there a Boeing project where uh, people can just come in with a virus and be like, ah, throw a computation at this problem? Um, yeah. So <laughs> I've been uh, part of a couple conversations over the past couple weeks talking about just that uh, because people are, I mean, this thing is getting pretty big, right? It was, it was yeah, just I declared think, um... a health emergency. Yeah, and I think it's doing worse than the old SARS virus that was in 2000, if I'm not mistaken, the year 2000. Yeah, and that itself was a scare. I think, so this virus has an R value of close to three, which means for every one person infected, they infect three others. Uh, I think this mortality rate is something like two, two and a half percent. But that's very likely going to change because a lot of the numbers I think we're getting in right now are having to do with the... um, the, the the ability to diagnose the virus as being this novel coronavirus uh, increasing, like spreading. People are getting the tests, so now they can test for it. Uh, so who knows how many numbers are actually out there. I've seen stuff that's like, oh, there's like 70,000 people in China, and then you know it's starting to spread all around the world. Uh, there is also a uh, university in Australia. Um, the University of Queensland is also working on, um, first of all, they figured out how to culture the virus in a lab and now they are working on a vaccine and they're opening up the data and the method of um, culturing it. So labs around the world can work on trying to find a vaccine. And they're also trying to see if the old SARS vaccine will also help um, making this vaccine. That's really cool. I wonder if any of these people working for vaccines are using computational science to try and figure uh, out like the fastest route to get to a uh, get to a vaccine. Chances are they are, um, especially in Australia, considering uh, our scientific organization, the CSIRO, has quite a few um, computational capabilities. So they are probably using their own little batch of supercomputers, but. I don't know. Other other labs around the world might be doing something different. So you're probably thinking, like, why can't we just use Boink for it? Um, and probably the key thing is... I am thinking is, just that. Yeah. yeah. And um, so mainly it's because there's no project where it's like a plug-and-play cure this virus sort of project. Rather, the, the different projects are all tailored towards one specific virus. Like, you have the World Community Grid Fight AIDS at Home, which is only focused on the AIDS and HIV virus. You have oh, another one uh, by them. Oh, sorry tuberculosis. It's a bacteria, not a virus, but the program that they run is sort of the same way. Um, And then you have, yeah, all sorts of other stuff as well and other projects um, that also try and find viruses. Uh, Sorry, try and find cures to viruses and cancers. I think the words of you, the way you said it, is you have to find the virus before you cure it. (laughs) Last time I made that same mistake. (laughs) Well, wait, you brought up the TB project, and this was actually one of the discussions I was having just the other day. It's like, um, what what is like the difference between a virus and a bacteria, and why why you know just why? Yeah, so uh, I've done my own research on this, and also just from reading books as a kid, I the difference between a virus and a bacteria is that one's living and one's not. So a virus is pretty much just a shell with um, proteins on the outside that try and access the inside of the cell. And then it also has its DNA in the center of it, which it uses to replicate. Whereas a bacteria is a living cell 
and it has its full nucleus and everything like that. Barton's corrected me, RNA. Yes, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a microbiologist, so uh, I got to use the simple terms. <laughs> um, and so a bacteria is basically its own living cell um, with its own nucleus and uh, mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, and all the other fancy stuff that's in the cell. Uh, and they Did live on their own. Did you just throw Bill Nye yeah. into that? Yeah. <laughs> well done, well done. Um, so, yeah, the main difference between virus and bacteria is that viruses are almost always pathogenic. So they'll always be um, somewhat lethal or act to destroy cells in some way, whereas bacteria can be helpful or pathogenic. And they are pathogenic in two different ways. So the way that the virus is pathogenic is that it has proteins on the outside of its shell or on the outside of its um, cell that... Um, attached to certain proteins on the outside of our cells. And when they attach to those proteins on the outside of our cells, it's like a lock and key. So the key is right, it'll unlock the lock. And so if it does that, your cell in your body, it's pretty gruesome. It'll basically pull the virus in, the virus will open up, and it'll start replicating its RNA and, and turn it into DNA and whatever, and start replicating the virus inside the cell. And then eventually it just pops open and all the viruses come out. Pretty gruesome. <laughs> Uh, but with ba with bacteria, uh, they do it a little bit differently. Pathogenic bacteria uh, can be pathogenic in two ways. They can either be invasive or they can be toxic. So some bacteria simply just replicate and replicate and replicate. And if they replicate in certain parts of your body, it's pretty dangerous because they just take up all sorts of space and all sorts of resources to replicate themselves and eventually get some damage to either organs or tissue or stuff like that. Uh, however, toxic bacteria... Uh, they produce toxins from just the act of reproducing and um, turning and using their mitochondria to generate energy. So when they take certain resources in, they use it to generate their energy and keep them alive and reproduce, and they output some sort of toxin, which then causes adverse reactions in the body. And so that's the two different ways that um, bacteria can be pathogenic. And hopefully that clears up the difference between viruses and bacteria. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, throwing computational power at a virus is a little simpler uh, problem than throwing it at a bacteria, because bacteria are fairly uh, are a lot more complex. I can In a sense, it is. Yeah, it, they're, it's they're like they're alive, um, which is rude to say. Viruses are alive too, although technically not. Not <laughs> whatever. They seem like they're alive, um, <laughs> and, and the viruses that turn you into a zombie might also seem alive as well. <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah, to analogize that, it's like the difference between looking at uh, and analyzing a machine, which is like the bacteria, compared to looking at something that's maybe like the instructions to run the machine. So the two vastly different things, one can be arguably more complex than the other, because the instruction um, to run the machine might just simply be a couple pages or something. Whereas the machine itself is big machine. You have all sorts of different components. You have different stuff inside the cell. You have all sorts of different crazy things. And the worst thing about both of them is that they evolve. So viruses and bacteria can evolve, and they can make vaccines uh, useless. Pretty much, they can they can become immune to vaccines eventually right. if that's if that's the case. So that's like the problem with the virus. There's two things here. One is the virus is constantly you know changing year to year, and you develop a vaccine, and then whoops, doesn't work next yep. year. <laughs> exactly like the flu. And uh, but the flu is also. I mean, we we're talking about this novel coronavirus because it's in the news and it's, you know, it's kind of a big deal. But at the same time, the flu, it's still a very big deal. We're just very used to it. Uh, this year in particular is a pretty bad flu year. 
but it was the Spanish flu that wiped out a good number of percentages of the population back in 1918. And the Black Plague. It, wait, what about the plague? The plague was the, the Black flu? Plague. No, 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 the Spanish what? plague. Uh, sorry, the Spanish flu was one of them and that wiped out a whole bunch. And then the Black Plague also did it as well. Yeah, the plague was bacteria. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm just talking about the flu here. Oh, you're talking about viruses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, and the other point is so these flus are or these viruses are constantly mutating the flu is a great example it's still very dangerous so wash your hands whatever even when we don't have this coronavirus floating around um but the the a lot of the uh deaths that come from a virus like the flu or like the coronavirus uh or to use the spanish flu uh 1918 the big really big famous one a lot of these deaths come from the bacterial infections that come afterwards so your immune system gets uh compromised and then you are more likely to get an infection or your immune system actually starts attacking your own body uh in a very weird way so yeah it's uh they're, they're scary stuff these viruses and then so we have all these projects these boing projects working on solving viral problems just by essentially folding proteins right and seeing what they look like but we were talking the other day we can only think of a few that are doing bacterial problems. We already named one, which is the TB one. And uh, the other one is also run by World Community Grid. And that's not really solving a, a direct like attack from bacteria. It's the microbiome project, which is just trying to identify uh, proteins in the uh, gut, essentially, in the microbiome. So, uh, yeah, and basically seeing what else they can be useful. And they, they are focusing on three different uh, diseases, type 1 diabetes, uh, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative col uh, colitis. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of these protein folding, I mean, that that's very specific. That's the bacteria one, that's microbiome. Uh, and I think they're sequencing or something. I don't know. We got to talk to those guys and see what that project actually does when it gives you work. Well, <laughs> according to their, their um, public statement, essentially they are trying to predict the proteins within the bacteria that uh, cause the certain um, bodily influences and um, enzymes that are key to the different diseases that I stated. Um, and uh, essentially, with their predictions, they try and refine them to be extremely accurate or as accurate as possible. And then they put them into basically a, a public database for everyone to use. And they might be able to use those uh, proteins to analyze different effects of different gut bacteria and how they might help with curing the diseases. Yeah, but like what? What does what does that even mean? So like, did they have an answer? Like, when I get a work unit, what does my computer do? Um, from essentially from what they said, most likely your computer will probably take a protein and then sort of match it with some sort of functionality. So a protein pretty much does something. It's like a little machine. Um, and so essentially, it might be just running simulations on proteins, sort of like how Rosetta does it in manipulating proteins and moving them about and um, squishing them, stretching them, until it fits a particular solution. And then once it gets that, it tries to refine it and refine it and refine it even more until it finds the most probable protein to do it. And so uh, I don't know what they're probably doing with it, which is, a, <laughs> I understand your, uh, your questions, and I am a little bit questioning myself as to what they're actually doing with this. Um, but yeah, that's probably most likely what your computer will be doing. Yeah, for example, with the uh, Stop TB uh, project, they say that the uh, the bacterium, the TB bacterium contains a type of fatty molecule called mycolic acids. And they use the massive amount of computing to simulate the behavior of these molecules and to uh, in order to understand how they protect the TB bacteria. So if you figure out how the molecule of this uh, fat, essentially, 
in the TB bacteria works, then you can then uh, dismantle it and easily destroy the TB bacteria. So that makes a lot of sense. Microbiome is very, it sounds very complicated. I'm very curious about I it. I think it is. Um, maybe scientists are smart enough to find that there is some link between gut bacteria and type 1 diabetes. As far as I know, there's no big influence between them but who knows maybe they might have like there might be a paper out there or something that says maybe it's linked closely with the gut um and i think what they're trying to do is just trying to like see it's like one of those wild science projects like let's see if this crazy thing works and let's see if it does something cool yeah barton here in the chat is saying that the spanish flu was h1n1 which is a familiar uh sequence if anyone remembers it from what was it, it was like five years ago ten years ago we had another H1N1, and uh, it wiped out more people than World War One, which is nuts. Because back in 1918, we were not a really connected world. Like that was World War One. Where we just like reached the point where you could travel around the world very fairly easily. And the first thing we do with that is have a war. <laughs> but, but nowadays, it's really scary when these things come up. When you have a very uh, contagious virus, like possibly this uh, coronavirus in a world where you can fly around the world in a day. And it, so you, if this virus is like they say, where it has a two-week incubation period, which they're not 100% certain of yet, and that it can spread before symptoms, like during that incubation period, it can spread, that's really scary. Because pe a lot of people travel in those two weeks, spread the virus, and then realize they're sick well after they've spread it all over the place. So that's why I think they're being very, very cautious with this virus, um, despite the fact that it's... As far as I understand, it's still not as bad as the flu. <laughs> yeah, but I think I remember hearing that the the flu season in China was pretty bad this year, and this is just making it worse. Yeah, and it's it's the same symptoms as the flu, as I understand it too. So it's hard to tell. Um, also, I'm just uh, reading on some of the resources that World Community Grid does provide on the different diseases it's trying to um, cure, and for the last two, the ulcerative colitis and the Corns, uh, uh, the Crohn's disease, uh, they are directly related to the gut, so they're related to the intestine and the stomach. Uh, and but uh, with type one diabetes, there wasn't really much uh, information of how it's linked to the gut, other than a small study that was produced that I think I think it said, if I'm not mistaken, said breast milk in early stages of um, of uh, development in a child helps prevent it. But um, I I don't know, but if anyone has any extra information on how type 1 diabetes might be linked to the gut bacteria, then yeah, go for it. Also, here's a cute cute little picture of a protein doing stuff. <laughs> a cute little virus. That's not a virus. That's a... Um... Viruses oh, no. are cute too, right? Look, you're the one who said they weren't even alive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, the cutest type of microbiology is uh, macrophagy. It's got a cute word, cute name. I'll give you that. I think it's called macrophage, but I like to call it macrophagy. <laughs> it makes it more cuter. <laughs> oh, look at it go. Thank you, Name. That's so cute. Oh, man. For those of you listening in, uh, Name just posted a cute gif of a protein doing work in the chat. Oh, look at it go. Look at it go. One step, two step. This is, this is beautiful. Adorable science. Show's over, guys. I'm just going to watch this for the rest of the night. But before, before the show's over, actually, uh, Delta, I forgot to ask you a very important question. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the new Star Trek yet? Unfortunately not. Oh, has anyone here seen the new Star Trek yet? And if so, thoughts? Yeah, Picard, Star Trek Picard. I've seen the advertisements for it. I'm not a really big <laughs> movie fan myself. It's not a movie, it's a TV show. Oh, well, shoot. Never mind then. For anyone listening, here are my quick thoughts, because I know you want to know. It's all right. They had 
too many fight they had fight scenes right in the beginning and they had fight scenes throughout the show which that's a minus the but they also quoted shakespeare in the first episode so that's a plus so right now it's at a zero there's no just uh beautiful optimism uh yet we'll yet to see if we get to learn how to be leaders but my god no 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 it's neutral it's not a zero out of ten if anything it's a five out of ten it starts at a five out of ten it loses a point for all the fight scenes and then it gains that point back for quoting shakespeare in the first step what does rotten tomatoes say i think they're like a seven and a half. Oh, oh oh delta another question i forgot to ask you do you know who uh who sponsored the show's music and their, their banner and their digital art I think that's library.science. Who are they? I don't know. Maybe you should explain. <laughs> well, <laughs> library.science is this community of folks who are interested in science, hoping to curate or, uh, articles and host these podcasts on the library platform, which is a decentralized content hosting platform that you can visit at library.tv. Uh, you can find these podcasts up on there along with a lot of other content, videos or documents or what have you so do check them out at library.tv or library.com and library here is spelled l-b-r-y and yeah no vowels (laughs) no vowels (laughs) they are afraid of vowels but they're not afraid of science and huge shout out to them and thank you for helping support this show all right moving on to part two uh delta you want to talk about asics right yeah, I think there were some users um, a while back that were talking about ASICs in Boink, and uh, it's it's a little bit of a interesting issue and a little bit of uh, not not really an issue, a good discussion point rather. And uh, so yeah, well, for those who don't know, an a- an ASIC stands for Application Specific Integrated Circuit, which is technical terms for a computer that's really, 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 really good at doing one particular thing only. Um, and uh, so people wondering whether that might may have some sort of um, bad effect in Boink. And so essentially what it would mean is if you are on a particular Boink project, you could um, buy a particular ASIC. Like, for example, the most um, common uh, discussed application of it is through, through, uh, with what's called fast Fourier transforms uh, for projects such as Einstein at Home or SETI at Home, which use fast Fourier transforms. And uh, you could just have a little computer that's next to your desk, plug it into your main computer and have it run all the Einstein at home and SETI work units. And people are wondering, is it fair? Is it good? Um, Should we use it? Um, And people have been discussing it for a while. And um, yeah, and other people have also suggested other things such as FPGAs, which are not exactly ASICs, but they're basically like sort of like a template to making a computer. So you can change all the different logic gates on it. You can put in new templates and you could make different functionality from it. And so you can essentially build an ASIC from an FPGA. Uh, And by the way, FPGA stands for Field Programmable Gate Array. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so people are wondering, is is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What are your thoughts on the fairness of uh, having it in existing Boink projects, Jeringa? I don't really care about the fairness, to be honest. Uh, I'm concerned with the... They do very specific tasks, right? Yeah. So when you have this uh, infrastructure that's constantly changing the task to be done, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in an economical respect to build an ASIC for it, because that's only going to work for one project, uh, for one application in one project. You know, we were talking about the microbiome and the TB project run by World Community Group. I'm here at the boink.berkeley.edu slash projects.php page that we talked about last week. World Community Grid runs on Windows, runs on Mac, runs on Linux, and runs on Android uh, CPUs. So, And then they have all the smaller projects. So someone's going to build an ASIC just to work on the microbiome project. 
right? And then what happens when that project's done? Yeah, and that's that's a very good um, observation as well. Um, the an interesting thing is you have projects like SETI at home and Einstein at home, which will constantly be gathering data, which is why a lot of people focus on those sorts of projects for making ASICs with fast Fourier transforms, because they'll pretty much never run out of data. You'll constantly have radio waves coming in from space. You'll constantly have uh, black holes colliding in space. And so you'll always have a justification for having an application-specific integrated circuit for Einstein at home and SETI at home. That's a good point. Then the, the other point I would bring up, I guess, on the counter is that um, so if, if Boeing's principle is to bring in to use all the hardware that's all over the world and to bring people into the scientific world by having them contribute their idle hardware, uh, well, and, and then it does that kind of through gamification that we talked about last week with credits and whatnot. If you can't really get credits because you're fighting against ASICs on these projects. Are you going to contribute? But then again, you'll probably contribute if you like looking for aliens. You don't care if you're competing against ASICs or not. So the more computation power, the better. I don't know which side of the fence I lead on here. Yeah, it is a little bit of an issue for those who are like extremely competitive about credits. Um, but then again, it could be for the better. So seeing that we can get ASICs and we can make lots and lots of more credits using ASICs as opposed to regular hardware, maybe a lot of people will invest in buying ASICs and help these projects um, crunch all the data that they have. And uh, I just noticed something here. I was on boinkstats.com, which is the site where you can go and see all these statistics about all different projects and also your own computers. And they do have listed under active projects, Boink combined, which is basically all the projects in Boink. And then they have Boink combined without ASIC. And so it seems like we have already had this discussion. So some projects may have had ASICs, but uh, I'm, I wasn't here long enough to know exactly what it is. Uh, Barton says Bitcoin Utopia was one of the projects that had ASICs and uh, understandable because to mine Bitcoin, you basically need an ASIC. Um, and uh, yeah, Barton says that's the only one. So I'm, I'm too young to know the history of Boink. So I'm betting on that as the only one. Yeah, and I think a lot of people might uh, align with the sentiment that like we don't need to build these ASICs if we're just looking. We should just focus on getting more people into the network. And if we do go down that route, uh, we can also, um, if we're the route of using hardware that already exists, you know, we can look at using giant server farms uh, who already have the hardware. Uh, ready to go, but maybe it's not being used or bought by anyone. Well, we can talk to them and maybe there's some sort of partnership that can get built where they come in and donate their computation power when it's not in use. And there you go. That's better than an ASIC in my opinion. Well, yeah, and that's the entire um, purpose of Boink. It's to run in the background when you're not really using it um, at the moment. And lots of server farms are out there which have just idle processes just running without really doing anything. And that could be an application in itself. But um, back onto the topic of ASICs, Button did mention it messed up all the statistics and that's why we're separating it. So uh, there is a chance that when we do introduce ASICs, especially to um, some of the existing projects, it can mess up the sort of credits and skew the really sort of core principles of Boink versus the... Um, ASIC and more efficient way, arguably more efficient way of doing it. I would argue against the more efficient way of doing it part. Because is it more efficient? Yes, it's more efficient at actually doing the computation work, but you've just built an entire piece of hardware that can do nothing but that single computation. It's like, okay, is that more efficient use of hardware, of resources, of time, of energy? Shouldn't we just use the stuff that already exists? Yeah, you waste. waste um, exactly. But um, yeah, if it's put onto a project with pretty much seemingly unlimited work units, 
I, I Einstein at home or SETI at home, I don't really see any real downside to having them. As you said, with the projects that will come in and out of existence, there, there's a there's a little bit of an issue there. Um, and uh, another thing that I just thought of, what about energy usage? Because ASICs tend to um, take up a whole lot more energy than regular computers. For um, I, I assume the better efficiency gains. So even though you're taking up more electricity, you're doing 10 times as much as a computer for maybe half the electricity. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair argument. Uh, I guess it depends It'd on become a good heater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd make a good heater. I know there are some people in the community who are making heaters from uh, just making boink rigs. Um, so I guess uh, an ASIC for this stuff um, might become, might be a better way of making a heater. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm still of the of the opinion of what Barton is sort of saying here. The energy to create and ship the device is pretty insane when you already have the thing that exists. And uh, yeah, just if we tapped all the idle processing potential, if we developed uh, renewable energy sources, that problem goes away. And then we tap all the idle processing potential, and then we still need more. Okay, let's build some ASICs. But there's a lot of potential out there that is not being tapped. And if you just distract by building ASICs, I think we won't attempt to tap that potential. And then yeah, when you and build ASICs, yeah. what you get is very dedicated people building these ASICs and using them, which is great, wonderful, but you lose there's a trade-off there and you lose the connection to just everyday people with a cell phone or their computer getting involved in science. So it, it, that that's a very, very uh, costly trade-off in my opinion, because I think that's one of the main points of Boink is to get people interested in science and directly involved in producing the results. And you won't get that with ASIC enthusiasts. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's exactly why this topic is really controversial in the Boink community. It's because it pretty much goes against the ethos that Boink was meant for, which is the idle processing power. Um, but in terms of the last thing you said there, in terms of not having a connection to the results, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see how that would change. Like, if you have an ASIC and then you're still crunching, you'd still get the results, and you'd still be, um, you'd, you'd still uh, have that under your account. So on on Boink, so I don't see how um, it's any different in terms of results. Well, think about who would buy an ASIC versus someone just connecting the hardware they already have because they use it for games or they use it for a phone to boink like they're not that person is not going to buy an asic well there are some people who are passionate about it i know um with the earthquake at home which is now a dead project unfortunately uh there were people who were buying um like uh dedicated accelerometers for like their computers or their laptops even though their laptops and uh, phones may already have accelerometers in it so there, there may be some people who are enthusiasts about it and will maybe go ahead and buy some stuff for it you're right but when you encourage when you go down that path encouraging those people who are awesome to build hardware highly specialized instead of getting those people to direct their energy to getting other people to get involved in the scientific process uh you're going to have them direct their energy to building ASICs to uh, get the most efficiency on a very specific project. I think there's very tangible trade-off there because you, you want people uh, sort of heading in the same direction, everyone, every frog hopping in the same way. Uh, so you, you get people involved in the scientific process, creating scientific results. And so ASICs get enthusiasts to build tech instead of to build social connection. Uh, yeah, actually, that uh, made me think of a really good point too. If you purchase an ASIC, let's say there is an ASIC for Einstein at home or SETI at home, um, 
you've really just locked into those projects and you can't shift to other projects and get to know uh, other stuff around there. So um, that, that might that, uh, that there is an argument against um, ASICs and uh, in the sense that it just locks you into one particular thing. You don't go around and share your processing power with other projects. Yeah, that's a really good point. It kind of destroys the economy of, of Blink. <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> the economy concept. of learning about science. Yeah. Oh, and you know, with the coronavirus project, or like the the epidemic project, epidemic at home. Oh God, pandemic at home. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of that one. I might where, do that next project brief. <laughs> where you have this project where someone, where there's this disaster or whatever, this uh, viral disaster, and we make a project, an application, just to throw uh, computation power at the problem. These ASICs would not be able to shift their computation to solve that very tangible, immediate problem and then solve it and then afterwards switch back to what they want to work on, sort of to support what you're saying there. And I think that's really important to be able to move computation power across projects depending on what you believe in at a certain moment or what you see as a tangible, immediate threat or what you see as a long-term problem you want to help solve. Like that, that's very important to me. Although if you're an ASIC buyer, ASIC user, that might not be as important to you. So maybe maybe this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're an, if you purchase ASICs, if you're that level of enthusiast, you probably have an ASIC, and you probably also have your PC and like probably a shelf of phones that uh, Delta has mailed to you. Uh, <laughs> any other project you like? So I think yeah, it's a complicated scenario. Personally, I I don't I think it would be a distraction, but I'm not terribly against it. All right. Well, now that we figured out sort of the ethical aspect of it, is it actually possible? So according to from um, just the current projects that are out now and also um, how Boink works in itself, it is pretty much possible. Um, As we said before, Boink Utopia did use ASICs, so it's possible with that. Um, Then uh, you also have projects like Radioactive at Home, uh, which use external sensors and stuff like that. Uh, So it is pretty much a possibility within the Boink ecosystem and software because simply all you have to do is just make a little... um, the the scientists themselves have to make just a little application to support that specific external device, um, in this case, the ASIC, uh, in order to crunch those specific things. So um, unless there's some sort of change in the code ever since Boink Utopia, or maybe the code's just evolved and maybe not has updated to a particular uh, particular part of the code, which has... Um, uh, supports ASICs, I think it's still possible to this day that we can have it. Yeah, I wonder why no one's built one, honestly. Like, prime numbers seem like they would build a ASIC for that. Cost, says Barton. Fair enough. Yeah, and um, considering that uh, it's pr- pretty much the way that the Boink works, is it's really hard for projects to actually create their own specific circuits for specifically what they're doing. Um, you'd really just have to be lucky to have someone else who made an ASIC that manages to work. But um, this is actually a good, uh, a good point. Uh, as I said before earlier, FPGAs, they're programmable. So if there is some sort of program out there that someone else has made, or uh, if one of the project administrators or um, programmers um, made a program for a FPGA that runs a specific uh, a specific project, then that would be a much more economical uh, way to do it in terms of just funding the cost of producing an ASIC. Um, and yeah, FPGAs are a valid option for creating ASICs, pretty much. Huh. I've learned a lot this episode. <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> Shall we wrap it up then? I think we should wrap it up, yep. Is that a Muppet, Barton? It's not as creepy as... Huh. It's a meme. <laughs> all right, yeah. It was good talk. Good talk. Good show. We'll uh, 
talking about viruses and the bacteria and the A6. And uh, have you finished your tea? Uh, actually, not. There's still a little bit at the bottom. It's cold, but it's summer, so it'll just warm up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so disgusting. <laughs> You must be constantly sweating. I, I'm on the verge of sweating in here. Uh, I've turned on the fan. Uh, the air conditioner is on in the other room, but this room is basically like a slow cooker. So <laughs> I feel like there's no salvation. There's no room you can go in that's going to be better, though. We're used just... to it. We're used to it. <laughs> Fair enough. It's Australia. <laughs> All right. Then, uh, yeah, we'll see y'all next week, next Friday at 4 p.m. EST. Uh where who knows what we'll be talking about if you have something you want us to talk about or if you see any cool science that you want us to ramble on about and share our thoughts feel free to reach out to us here on the boink network discord and also uh, we get our first person come in and snag one of those prima boinka invite codes just the other day so if you want to get on that project and start crunching for it it's a very exclusive project we've only got a limited number to hand out one of them's already gone all you have to do is join the discord and follow us at boink network on twitter and uh let us know and we will get you an invite code hurry up and roll the outro before i melt <laughs>